He is a man at one up, one down, <laughs> want the polish kind of guy. <laughs> <laughs> no. Episode 2 of The Words of Crom. I'm Dan. Phil. I'm Nick. And sadly today we don't have stew like the dish sometimes over with dumplings <laughs> with us. Uh, but he is with us in spirit. Can I, can I tell a, a cool, well it's not a cool, it's a disgusting stew story. That will probably put a lot of people off listening. <laughs> oh, draw more listeners. Oh, hopefully draw more listeners. It's probably probably tell him this is on Probably won't because I imagine Dan's probably going to bark at this story as well. <laughs> okay. the, the other day, right, I needed to use the toilet and I was oh. in there for an especially long time because it was quite a, a difficult process. It required, <laughs> let's just say, a lot of toilet roll and Stu took basically took a he, he didn't he didn't like that but he, he made a thing he was saying this to Nat who is a mutual mate of ours who came over the other night and he was telling this to Nat and said how the two girls who lived in this flat prior to us because we've just moved in they left us two toilet rolls and Stu moved in here about three weeks before I did and those two toilet rolls lasted three weeks then he bought two more and I moved in and within a week all, both of them had been used and he was gobsmacked at this, at, at this. And in the case of, the, of this one evening, I'd probably used probably about half a roll in, in one evening. I, d- I don't know what I was eating. I don't know what I was eating. <laughs> and he, I mean, I'm going to have to find a text. But he he was actually, yeah. Was he livid? He was, you know, he... Um... Do you not know how much those toilet rolls cost? No, 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 it's... Um... He he texts me at work. Yeah, you need to police your wife, your wiping son. You had an extra oral than me, and I lived there before you. <laughs> two sheets folded equal two wipes. Oh no! no. So he he is a man at one up, one down, <laughs> want the polish kind of guy. <laughs> oh no! And he then texts me to say you blocked the toilet. <laughs> I was like, fair enough. Anyway. You know, Nat was in agreement with me. It takes however much it takes. Yeah, you get the job done. You, you don't. get the job done. If you drop a diamond, you don't necessarily need to use half a roll. Anyway, <laughs> 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 anyway, I come in the, the other day, in the morning, go to work, and I rouse him as he's asleep on the couch and gone out the night before. So he's like, like a vampire with like the, the sunlight. Flashing across his face. Natural light. I go in the toilet and he has had a dump and used literally one sheet of toilet roll. Oh dear. Can, can you think of anything more, more, um, as we'd say, studeist, 
more tight, more yeah. cheap <laughs> than that. Stu's got very peculiar toilet habits, yes. which is a good thing why he's got the old ensuite upstairs, because you'll have been spared this, but do you remember, well, one of his things, do you remember him putting pictures of on Facebook of the toilet, the cardboard tubes yeah. stacked yes. up on the system? I did that. Yeah. In an attempt to, because there was some on the system, the there, there was some on the floor. <laughs> there was a couple on the the, the holdings. Like, yeah, Stu, look, you probably want to move these now. It's becoming a fire hazard in the bathroom, so you probably want to sort them. But just everything. He bought when we went to IKEA. He bought a bog brush, and I thought that's going to be the most underused item in this house because I think his toilet got cleaned once by me. <laughs> because there was the same shit stain on this toilet oh, in his yeah. old flat for literally months. See, and I just I couldn't cope with it. It's one of those things where, well, I'll try and douse it with my stream of justice while I'm in there, <laughs> but just nothing would shift it. So oh, I had dear. to spend it five minutes scrubbing his toilet just before I moved in. It's like, oh, thanks, I didn't have to do that now. That's the game you've played for the last six months. See. I am surprised about Stu's toilet roll habits because Stu is a man who I've known to go to the toilet at work, to go to the toilet in nightclubs, and uh, <laughs> and I. That's something you do with going to the toilet in a nightclub or a pub on a night out is something you do with only, you know. So it has to be a real need. It, 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 has, it has to be a need. Utmost urgency to yeah. pop a duke in a nightclub. It has to be, it has to be a life or. Soil situation, really, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> no, that that toilet will be cleaned and, and spick and spam before any girls enter this flat because. No, no, I, I, I'm. I used to live in. I've lived in many horrible places before, and I don't want to get it to the point where it, it's an actual chore to clean it. I'd rather just do a little bit every week. I tried telling him that when when it was at, at Otherton, it's like just little bits and bits, like. When I used to go around, like, say, after work, I'd take a pizza with me to stodge up a bit because I've been drinking until a few, eight, like three o'clock in the morning. I want a bit of substance, especially as the last meal I'll have eaten was just sandwiches at work. And I'd take a box, like, leave the pizza box on the side, ready for him for throw away with any other cardboard. Two weeks later, it's still there. And, like, those cans are... He'll happily have them there for... Well, you know, a while. We still, because I mean, I've still got boxes. No, still moving in. We're still technically moving in, but that that'll there'll be. I want to say rules. So I'm not, not going to be a Nazi or anything like that. Although you probably like that. <laughs> I think the thing is, but, though, because yeah, when it was gonna, on his, you know, I'm, I'm not going to tolerate mess. When I've, lived, on, I've lived in a hole before. When it was on his it. own, it was like, well, there's no one else who has to live. Yeah, exactly. So what does it matter? And now he's got a, a bit of company, and he can't be completely slobbish. I don't think he will. To be honest, no, that's I what I'm saying. Will. I don't. It probably won't be. It'll get a lot better. But anyway, yeah. So Stu will be back another day. <laughs> when we'll, we'll so talk. Stu's at work and we'll not talk bad about yeah, him. Yeah, we'll, we won't tell any more nasty stories. Uh, I, will, I will share a story that is not related to Stu at all, uh, but it is on the subject of people who feel the need to go to the toilet in bars and clubs. Does this involve me? It does. It involves no one present at this point. Alright, because uh, there is one story you could tell about me. I've got one that involves Stu, but it was my, me as well. But... That this can come afterwards. Sure. Um, okay, so for new listeners to the podcast, we are based in Bolton. Uh, Bolton has a bar called The Capital, which used to be a varsity. 
And uh, several years ago, uh, me and some friends were in varsity. This is a good few years ago now. Me and my friends were in varsity one night, and uh, we all went to the toilets, as you sometimes inevitably do when you finish your drink and you're going on to the next place. <coughs> and I'm washing my hands in the sink, and I see an item in the corner of my eye, and... And I know, without looking at it properly, what it is. But I don't want to look at it. I don't want to confirm it. Please tell me that's not real, what I've just seen in the corner of my eye. My friend Stuart, completely unrelated to Stuart, my friend Stuart comes along and starts washing his hands. And I say, Stuart, please tell me that's not what I think it is. He looks, and it's a shit in a glass. Which someone... (laughs) (laughs) No... Now, I don't know what the process is. I don't know if you uh, I don't know if you put the the glass in the toilet and you know and Try squat aim. It, and yeah. squat yeah, squat over it. I'll pick it up. Oh, I don't know if you just do it into your <laughs> do hand. You know, can I just aside, Dan? So, squatting is actually more healthy for you. That's why people in China and sort of undeveloped not that China is undeveloped because it's probably the most monolithic superpower in the world. In undeveloped countries where there are not fixed like Armitage shanks toilets and it's just holes people squat over them it's far more healthy far more natural just to let you know there you have it yeah anyway <laughs> toilet facts <laughs> yeah toilet facts <laughs> anyway so you know we uh, you know so by this point a crowd has gathered you know people are taking photos <laughs> you know and uh, and we're thinking well you know that is disgusting we need to tell the management so we go downstairs uh, our friend Joe was assistant manager at the time and, you know, we said, Joe, go upstairs, get it sorted. Someone has left a shit in a glass on the sinks. <laughs> he goes upstairs to allegedly t- see to it uh, and returns with an empty glass, uh, which, I can, oh. which I can only hope was destroyed. I sincerely hope they didn't wash it and use it again, but they probably did. Anyway, uh, we went back up to the toilets. We must have ended up getting another drink and staying in there. We went back up to the toilets, and this time it was just sat in a urinal. <laughs> That that reminds me, when I was about 17, I used to work in a bar in my old hometown of Penrith, and the bar was called The General Wolf, and back then, you know, before the smoking ban, pubs were like one of the few things you could do in like a small town, so Saturday night, Friday night would be like huge business, and it's just like a Saturday night, and I'm 17, so I can't work on a bar, I can't pull any pints because it's illegal, so I'm just like generic... Glass collector. Glass collector. Um, dog's body. And in, in a sense, it was an amazing job. Because I'd, I'd worked there for about three years. So th- this pub was like uh, the hub of, of like... It was the kind of pub you go to before you got the nightclub. So you'd see everyone. You'd know everyone. You'd, you'd, you'd get an image of everyone. You'd be at the centre of this whirlwind of activity, of social activity. And before Facebook and mobile phones... That was kind of important, you know. That was kind of that was kind of something, and I didn't really appreciate it at the time. Um, anyway, me and my mate Dan, Dan Parks, or not not this Dan here, my mate Dan Parks. He, we worked there. We're both the same age, and we had a manager called um, called Beatty. And uh, one night, we go into. Did you call him Master Beatty? No, we just called him Beatty. He, he was a bit of a cock. He was a bit of a. Uh, he was 27 at the time, and he ran this very busy pub. And he's like, "Oh, I'll be, I'll be retired by the time of 30." It's 12 years later, and he's still there. But, you know, <laughs> he got bought out by a brewery, and who knows what happens. But you know, he's still a very much a part of the Penrith social scene, which to some 
to him is probably quite important. You know, and to be fair, apart from being cocky, he was quite funny, and as his story will prove, he's fair and he's true to his word. Anyway, some knobhead had basically somehow shat in a urinal. And this is why I don't use urinals anymore, because people do this. And <laughs> you, know, you think, I want my penis as far away from that as I can get, you know. Anyway, he he comes up to me and Dan and is like, right, one of you two is going to have to clean that up. And we look at each other like, no, no, no. It's like, yeah, you are. I says, no, no, walk. You know, we're 17, we don't care. So <laughs> we're getting paid 25 quid a week. We don't, we're not going to, we're not going to clean shy out of you, Rhinel. So it's all right, we're going to draw straws. It's like, no, it's still not fair. So it's all right, we're going to draw straws and I'm going to do it as well. So he, he breaks up like these, these just like lollipops and I pick and I get like a medium, because I'm picking first. I don't know how long or short it is. So I'm like, <sighs> Dan picks and it's shorter than me. And I'm like, yes, <laughs> and then Beatty picks. He's the shortest straw. He's like, ah, so he, he has to do it. And he basically has to get a bucket and a mop. And he got on the toilet. Basically, there's a cubicle next to this, next to this um, urinal. So he's in the cubicle next to it, stood on the toilet with a fucking mop, just like oh. probing it, like going yeah, yeah, and trying to like get it onto the floor to like scoop up. Oh man, disgusting! And he's like there retching, and me and me and Dan are there just going, <laughs> baby, <laughs> disgusting. Disgusting. The only kind of odd stuff. No, it's not necessarily odd one. It's it's ingenuity at work. I was at the um, MEM. We're watching a gig. I think it might have been Slipknot. And uh, the Unholy Alliance tour. Might have been. I can't remember. It was, it was there. And Stu and I like a drink every so often. <laughs> and so understated. <laughs> Mean, every, like, every so often you know, yeah like a we aperitif in, and, in, a, in a beer every now and then yeah and um, a lot of this crowd also occasionally like a swift drink and the queue to the blokes toilets was immensely long and you know the toilets at the MN there's like 20 cubicles and about 50 urinals and there was the queue outside and stood there in this line like queuing up row of empty sinks like Oh, oh no, no! No one's using these sinks. Why not? It's basically a toilet. So I go and start having a piss in the sink. Stu follows suit. But to be fair, we gave it a flush because there were the taps where <laughs> you, you hit the tap and it comes out and then it turns itself off. Everyone cottoned on, and it, it was like we doubled the amount of urinals. And this was halfway through the gig, kind of thing. So we went away and then came back, and I can't, can't remember if there was a bouncer there. Oh, they'd said, yeah, no one can use the sinks now. Because there was that amount of fluid going through it. That's disgusting. As long as it was just... However, it was, was just getting fluid. to be one of those emergency points, though. It was like, there's this many people. I do want to continue drinking and see the band not queue up for the toilet for 15 minutes. Well, I can tell you, I know for a fact, because Nick's told me this story before, uh, and I was almost... Uh, in a, a thuggish way, I was almost disappointed <coughs> with his actions. Uh, but, uh, I know what you're going to say. I know that Nick has been at a gig in the past. I believe it was Metallica. Uh, Nick has been at a gig in the past where badly needed to pee in another gig. 
simply peed into his glass. Oh, right, off. yeah. I thought you were going to say... I've got... Thinking about it, I've got quite a few urinal stories. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know what you were not. I was going, which one? Which one's which you one's telling this? now? Metallica. No, it wasn't Metallica when I did that. Yeah. He's like, oh, yeah. Uh, peed into a glass or a bottle and then just very gentlemanly put it down by his feet. You know, <laughs> yeah. whereas a, a more thuggish individual would have lobbed it into the crowd. No. I remember... That doesn't happen at gigs. That never happens. It didn't happen uh, to <laughs> to Axel Rose in <laughs> two thousand and seven. Oh, Daphne and Celeste. Daphne and Celeste. Weirdly, <laughs> I remember going to see. It was it was Download Festival or one of the festivals, and it was just before Smashing Pumpkins were going on. on but it was the band before Smashing Pumpkins, and it was Nine Inch Nails, and the rest of the people were were clearing off. They were shit, by the way. I've seen Nine Inch Nails twice. The first time was the Manchester Apollo. And it was one of the most atmospheric, cool, interesting gigs I've ever been to. Didn't translate well to like a festival kind of stage. Anyway, I'm desperate for the toilet. And if you've ever been to the toilet in a festival, it's, it's a horrible experience. It is. Very Especially upsetting. if you're at the front of the stage and you've got to go and find another thing. Finding your mates, impossible. You know, it, it just ruins the night. So we had everyone stand in front of me in like a semicircle and just took a piss into a bottle. It's done. Done. You know, I've still got other urinal stories to say. <laughs> we'll save them. For we'll save them for another time. Yeah. Because yes, uh, this uh, this particular word of crime is not about you. <laughs> uh, we are saving that one for a special in the future. But uh, yeah, you, Christmas you special. special. <laughs> <laughs> the yellow snow special. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but we are indeed here to talk about our favourite weapons from video games. Would you like to start us off, Phil? Um. Well, there's there's big weapons going back to stuff like Doom. What do you mean, like the BFG? The BFG, the classic. Yeah. This this gun will clear out an entire room. Mm. Fantastic. But there's also stuff like um, in Assassin's Creed, the little hidden blade. It's just done so cool. And so well makes you feel like a complete badass. But in recent times, and going back, it'll be from uh, Dead Island. I mentioned this earlier, it's called the the Ripper, I think, or something like that. And um, it's a really, it was a, a download weapon. You get the blueprints, and you basically have to get a baseball bat, a battery, and two circular saws to make it. And when zombies run at you, you just swing it once, and like an arm will fly off, or a head will fly off. It's not just the sharpness, it's like the baseball bat element as well. Yeah, so it's the, one of the most fearsome weapons in the game. I remember... And it's just immensely useful and ov- fun. Obviously the precursor to sort of Dead Island would be like Left 4 Dead, which I still think is better, probably better than Dead Island. And obviously in Dead Island 2, the main, one of the main sort of upgrades mean, in it was melee weapons. You mean Left 4 Dead 2? Left 4 Dead 2, yeah. What am I about? Left 4 Dead 2, yeah. And the melee, the melee stuff in that, like having a samurai sword or a chainsaw, it just feels good. Just like mincing, mm. like zombies, feels it feels how it almost would feel in reality. <laughs> you think it would feel in reality. Is there anything else? Any other weapons that sort of stick out I'll, in your mind? I'll think about it. The more I talk about it, um, but there's stuff like I mean, we've been playing the best games, the game for weapons and variety. No Borderlands Two. Borderlands yeah. Two. The just the amount of stuff in there. Like when I first, you first get a, a decent slug sniper rifle. And you can do insane amounts of damage with it. 
See, there's there's some issues I've had with Borderlands 2, and that was first in like one of the first containers, I got a weapon I used for like 15 levels, so it made picking up everything else almost a chore. You know, so it's like oh, just pick up more stuff that I'm never ever going to use, never going to be as good. It's also a lot. Weapons can be statistically great and then be really poor in in execution, like. I don't like, for example, in Borderlands, a sniper rifle that can't be, that isn't semi-automatic. Mm. Like, it's like one shot, really slow. Bolt action. Bolt action kind of shot. I don't like that. Others, I mean, recently I picked up my first, like, orange. It, it Basically, because you don't play Borderlands, Dan. It's it's very much like, uh, you don't play Diablo, so it's impossible to describe that either. <laughs> the the weapons are randomly generated, basically. Yeah. They've got, star, they've got like, say, a sniper rifle, you've got... Bolt action and semi-automatic, but then the semi-automatic nature can be... You pull your trigger once and it'll discharge all of its rounds yeah. in one go. Or it can be like, bang, for one trigger press. It's, it's as random. fast as you pull the trigger, or it's burst, or this one, and so all they change. But then you've got stuff like elemental effects. So fire, corrosion, lightning, or slag, which is basically... It increases further damage. How how it works is it, how Diablo worked was you would you kill stuff and they drop randomly generated items and they'd, they'd have quality levels so you'd have grey which is the poor quality then you'd have green which is uncommon which can be okay but are generally not too good you'd have blue which is rare then you'd have purple which in like World of Warcraft terms is epic and then you'd have orange which is legendary, like okay. rare as the rarest can be. Usually, statistically, the best weapon at that level. I recently got my first, my first um, orange handgun, and statistically, it's amazing. It does like I'm only like level level twenty three, something like that. It does two times per hit, um, like four hundred damage. So eight hundred damage per shot is immense. Is yeah. immense a lot of damage. Anyway. Because of the way it fires and the way it plays, I don't like using it. Even though it's mega powerful, the, one of the main drawbacks is when you certain dance, uh, certain certain, dance, certain, certain guns Dan have all kinds of different properties. Like we we found for doing like the, those those like tournament that oh, that ring of death, the arena challenge gun. It basically it was a rifle, but it fired shots like in an arc. Like an artillery cannon, totally useless. I'm sure somewhere out there, someone out there would love that gun, and it'd be perfect for what they'd want. But I think there was one. I don't know if it's manufacturer, but in this in Borderlands, there was like an explosive round or this certain manufacturer. The bullets go say half the speed of a regular bullet, so you can see it. Yeah. So you have to shoot ahead of where your enemy will go. If yeah. you land the shot, it's immensely powerful. But, but the fact that you probably won't hit them. Sure. It's like, I've got this shit-up weapon. Rarity is not really that useful in Borderlands. No. Because even on the loading screens it says, this even a, a rare weapon doesn't mean it's good, it just means it's rare. Yeah. So it might, be might only be this one pistol. Monetarily, yeah. This pistol, it's worth $3,500, but it's a pile of crap. It just happens that they might own a bit. The statistical... Uh, chance of this gun being generated is like 1 in 50 million or something stupid. Yeah. Right? That's what makes it rare. I, I think Borderlands 1 did it better. 
in that rarer weapons were generally better. much more powerful and better. They were just better. They weren't so randomly generated and just had buffed stats. They were the developers had thought about them and gone this this weapon. There is, was some is hard good. coded. There's, there's hard coded weapons yeah. into this game. Like when you finish a mission, you'll get given a specific weapon, a themed weapon, which will probably be similar to whoever gets it in the game. But ones you'll just find randomly or pick up off enemies. Completely random. Completely random. And there's bil- there's millions and millions and millions of permutations and varieties. I like that though. It keeps things interesting. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, Dan, what 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 did you say? Some of the favourite weapons of yours from computer games. Um, I can think of a few uh, that expand the generations. Uh, one of the earliest weapons I remember enjoying was uh, would be from the first Siphon Filter game. Uh, if anyone plays, is it the Taser? The Taser, which uh, in the early levels, especially because the early levels were easier going, uh, the early levels especially, it was very satisfying being in like. Uh, Washington City terrorists have taken over they're on rooftops shooting at you and you just fire this taser at them and keep the trigger <laughs> held down yeah. and they just start and they just set on fire and uh, <laughs> which you, you can tase them and just knock them out or <laughs> tase them to death now I don't, I don't know if it is possible to set someone on fire with a taser but when you're like 10 years old playing that it's quite it's the best thing in the world it's quite fascinating yes or uh, also, from that generation, uh, Tomb Raider 2, uh, discussed in the last podcast, one of my favourite game sequels ever, uh, the grenade launcher in there, just because it was the most impractical, stupid, ridiculous weapon that never hit its target. But on the odd occasions that it did, then you would be badly hurt by the time it did make contact <laughs> with the enemy. But on the odd occasions that it did, it was just very satisfying seeing that enemy turn into a bunch of little ovals uh, flying across the screen. <laughs> <laughs> that was a great game. In term, in terms of like, of, of like, obviously, you know, there's going to be a lot of weapons which are very similar throughout the generations. I think COD is going to be Call of Duty is going to be like one of the major sort of games where you'd find a lot of weapons that have a lot of use. So, do either of you have any positive memories of, of like COD weaponry? Certainly. Is there, is there specific guns that? You will like love forever. And have there been any ones that you've used that have been re- have been re- replicated in further instalments that have been poorer? Um, there are there are two guns that jump out that jump to mind um, from Call of Duty World at War, which is one of my favourite Call of Duties. I liked Call of Duty when it was set in the World War Two era. Yeah. And I think World at War got a bad press because it had to follow the amazing first Modern yeah. Warfare. Yeah. And World of War is a great game, especially because that was the first game to have the zombies, you know, the lit- which was a little game. You had literally the one small environment to work in, and, you know, only, you know, because by the time it returned in Black Ops, it was just too hard. Um, and the zombies on that was excellent. And, of course, you had the mystery box, and you, you paid X amount of money, and you, and you got a, a random prize out of the mystery box. And there were these giant, huge machine guns which I'm afraid I can't remember their name, but me and my friend Pete came to know them affectionately as Big Berthas. And uh, you could easily hold down a room for a very long time with just a couple of Big Berthas. If you didn't have a Big Bertha, one of you could hopefully get a flamethrower. Awesome. It never ran out of ammo, but of course it did cloud your vision because the entire room would suddenly become full of smoke and you can hear these things going, ah! 
coming towards you, not very pleasant. <laughs> um, and of course, the ray gun. Uh, for anyone who ever got the ray gun, which was amazing. One hit and it killed your enemy, or if you accidentally hit, if you accidentally shot your partner, they died. Or if you accidentally shot it too close to a wall, you died. You know, it just perfect, perfectly deadly in every way to the point where it was almost too dangerous to have. But again, so good at killing that it became a necessity. And that that is the joy of any any weapon in a game, I think, where it's dangerous to the point where it's going to do yourself damage. Yeah, we've got to think about using it. Yeah. You know, that... There's definite good examples mm. of that. I'm trying to think of some other weapons where, you know, it's almost... I mean, in a game, it's, it's quite hard to balance a point where a weapon is so usable, but it can, it can either be rubbish to the point where it's unusable, but or too good to where it's, there's no drawback. Like, I think the BFG 9000 was... It was almost. The, the, it was the, too powerful, but the ammo was severely yes, limited. And, and it was slow. So you could fire it quickly and it didn't do much damage, or if you charged it up, you'd clear room. So it had a, it had a nice balance, you know, that. Rocket launchers, I think, are a classic example of incredible power, but if you cock up and you fire it too close to a wall or too close to an enemy, you, you, get, you get blasted, you know. Yeah. That, I think that's one of the classic first Doom. Kind of like, we're going to give you an incredible toy here, but if you don't respect be it, <laughs> yeah, be, be careful. If you don't respect it, it's going to bite you in the ass. The only Def- thing you mentioned with Call of Duty is they, it, with frequency, to be fair, fuck weapons up. They do they change make, them a lot. Yeah, yeah. They they make they change things a lot. They get stuff where there's absolutely no drawback to using it. Um, Modern Warfare to the Type One Three Three Seven uh, shotguns. Absolutely no drawbacks to them. When you got when you unlocked them, if you didn't spend the next few hours of your life trying to get dual wielding shotguns, you're no good at the game because they were just so immensely powerful. It'd be like the other end of the room. You could use them as sniper rifles. Mm. It was basically one shot kills with them. And he had two on the go. It just became an absolute nightmare. And then in Modern Warfare 3, it came back. But they nerfed it. Uh, and it starts somehow. And you could only ever have the one of them. Hmm. Still powerful, but it's not a game-breaker. There, were, there was game-breaking weapons in Modern Warfare 3. I'm trying Because uh, it's been a while since I've played it. The MP7 was... The MP7, yeah. Everyone used that. It was like the little Uzi... <laughs> Single hand one, you know, very quick, very accurate, very little recoil. I think that was the main, the main deal with it. There was so little recoil that you could fire it, you know, extend it. You could fire like a full clip out, and you you could be very accurate with it. Um, some of the shotguns were ridiculous in Modern Warfare Three. They were. I also the ridiculous. thing that bothered me the most were the akimbo, akimbo little uh, machine pistols. You know, but they've been they've been they've been in them in um in in every in every. I remember in COD Modern Warfare Two, the G18s, which you have in Modern Warfare Three that no one uses, and they were just two extended clip machine pistols that if you just pulled both triggers as you walk around the corner, you'd kill anyone, anyone. And I remember because I used to play it on the PC, and obviously you don't have this element <coughs> on the console as you do on the PC. You just have loads of people going. Small G18 noob, you know, rapid fire noob, and you think, 
they're doing it. You know, but, I, I remember going G eighteen noob, and then you quit your build with G eighteen's next round because <laughs> you're like, I don't, I want to do noob tuber, noob tube, noob tube. Oh, yeah. Fuck it, I'll Actually, do that. that. That's exactly my problem. Okay, <laughs> first of all, the akimbo weapons require no skill. It is like you said, just you spray and pray. You just spray and pray. Yeah. And uh, yeah, noob tubers especially. There's absolutely zero skill to it. Now I understand if maybe you're trying. They to... ruin hardcore mode. Noob tubers certainly, certainly. Yeah, they take. I mean, hardcore. If you're it's not, it, you're it not having a session. <laughs> when, yeah. you, when you finally get some like... You get like three people in one shot. There's it possibly is good. someone in that window over there. Boom. Yeah. Oh, triple kill, nice one. Yeah. If you're not having a good session, though, uh, on hardcore, you know, you're not in the mood to be noob-tubed. You know, uh, hardcore does take some skill, and to be killed by a fluke noob-tube is it's most unsatisfying. Most unsatisfying, yeah. Especially when you see someone like running... Like at the start of a map, and then you fire off randomly, and it just it hits you. That's like, the for biggest. God's sake. This is why I love playing Call of Duty games the first month or two. Because everybody's on a level playing ground. Mm. I'm relatively competent at playing Call of Duty. That goes from game to game. But I don't spend an inordinate amount of time looking for a specific part of a cloud to aim my noob tube at, so I'm guaranteed a kill at the start of a round. Yeah. Yeah, or watching nobody. endless YouTube videos to, yeah, to and, find that. And um, that's why I love the first few months because nobody knows this. And then at the end of the lifespan, which now is a year, it's re- they can re- be relatively unplayable. M- the older games, especially, uh, the first Modern Warfare, Modern Warfare 2 was notorious for it. Um, getting out of maps as well. I remember on the first one, it was like. Can't remember the name of it, but it was in like um, I remember it was a Middle like Eastern a, town. Yep. One long road, little type of base up here, little one here, but which dog leg round, and there was this blown up building, and you could jump on specific bits and then get on the roofs of these buildings, but you're technically outside the map. Yeah, because you'd be and right you on the top of this high building, and no one would think to look there, even if they watched the kill cam. It'd just be a scope. So you think, oh, they're roughly around there. And then you'd never be able to see them yeah. because you're never going to think they're right on top of these stupid little buildings out of the way. But yeah. they've, they've addressed that in, in Modern Warfare. There were no real out-of-map experiences on it, which is good. There's, um, <clears throat> I remember in Modern Warfare 3, I'd, buy, I'd bought for the first time most of the, the DLC... And I found that I had a better playing experience when I played with that off as opposed to on. Because if you think about it, only the either the spoiled kids or the the super obsessive people, not necessarily, I mean, every, a lot of people are going to buy it. Only the people who are really invested in it are going to pay the extra money to buy that as opposed to people who aren't asked who are just going to play a normal game. So I found I'd do much better and enjoy it much more if I just played the normal game without the DLC. I was like, this is miles more enjoyable. I do tend to buy the first set of maps. I did, on Modern Warfare 3, I bought the, fir- the, the first and the second. Didn't bother with the third, because they always release it too close to when the new one's inevitably going to come out. Yeah, and it's almost it's worth So if, it, if it's in the first three or four months that they release some maps, I, I might buy them. Um, but I'll not go out of my way to. Yeah. In terms of... Um, Kill streaks. 
I know we all like dogs. I know you like dogs, which is a, a classic. You don't like dogs, Phil. I don't no. like dogs. See, I, I, I think, think it's too cheap. It takes a bit to get there, but especially on World at War, where the maps were a little bit busier and slightly more detailed and generally darker than Modern Warfare 3 was. You couldn't see them until they were right on you. And killstreaks can just ruin your day anyway. But there was nothing, no perk to counteract dogs. No, but the, what I found balanced dogs, as opposed to in Modern Warfare 2, the nuke, where there was nothing you could do. Well, I said, if you could shoot Modern the dogs, Warfare if you were good, you could, you could never ever get killed by dogs. Which I think is a perfectly good kill streak. Rule number one: back it, back yourself into a <coughs> corner. Yeah. yeah. Uh, now the nuke was ridiculous. I had a couple of games in Modern Warfare Two that ended by nuke. We had a couple of games in a row that ended by nuke by the same loser player uh, to, who must have got, I believe, was it? Did you have to get twenty-five kills to get a nuke? Yeah, without ever dying. Yeah. So this, this guy got twenty. And you also had to kills. have it as your kill streak, if I recall correctly. Yeah, and in Modern Warfare Three. It was unlisted as a kill yeah. streak. The MOAB. Well, at least the MOAB. At least it would the, not end the game. At least it won't end the game. Yeah, at least the MOAB continued the game. But yes, the nuclear bomb. Exactly. Okay, it ended the game. Okay, you could be on the winning team, but if someone on the other team released a nuclear bomb, that's it. Your team loses, um, and that's unfair because you were the team that was definitely winning. It's unfair that some loser. I mean, I mean that is bad. Two games in a row where the same loser has got two nuclear bombs. That is someone who's played that game. Far too much. Oh, the cheating, which is... More likely. Sad. <laughs> Just mega sad. Um, I'm trying to think... See, my first experience of, of, of Call of Duty was... My, I, I always played, played it miles after you guys did, Dan. I remember you guys telling me about it, and I was like... My ass. And then you do play it, and it is... Coming from like a, an FPS background of like Doom and Unreal and Quake... It is a major step, but it does feel very cool. And certain ones have certain cool balances, like like Predator Missile. Very powerful, you can get a good amount of kills with it, or one kill. But if everyone's inside, you shit out luck. You're still there, prone on the ground, use a computer. Stuff like that's cool, you know. Um... I think in Modern Warfare 3, like, the helicopters died way too easily, so mm. no one had really used them. Some of them, like the um, like the, the big fleet of helicopters going across the map, useless. Pretty useless. Pretty useless, you know. Um, they were okay, providing none of your enemy team had blind eye on, but again, yeah. t- too easily defeatable. You shoot down the middle helicopter, it takes down all the rest. Yeah. And again, in Black Ops, the, the chopper that you could command, it was just a bit stupid. It was just a bit... You know, I like the chopper gunner one. What where you the big machine gunner? Like, yeah, yeah, like in in Vietnam. Yeah, that was cool. You know, it was. And the rare occasion I, I did get the, um, the the helicopter you could control, that was easily shot down. And if everyone was inside, you were again shot out of luck. Yeah, but it was at least a bit different, which I enjoyed. Yeah. Going going back to like favorite weapons. Uh, it's a weird, this is this is like a weird story, and that is one of the best games I've ever played. <coughs> is called um, Gemstone Four. I don't know if I've spoke to any of you about it before, and it's it's like a precursor to MMOs, 
so like WoW, Age of Conan, Star Wars Online. This this was like a at school or, or you know back in the day. Did you ever play like text based text based adventure games? Uh, yeah, so like Zork stuff like that. You know where go west, pick up sword that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Go left. I do not understand your command. Yes, fact, cannot go, fine, go, go left. left. <laughs> yeah. Go forward. Cannot go forward. Yeah. I, I always enjoyed Zork. Uh, the, the moment I would get bored in Zork, uh, kill self. Uh, how would you like to kill yourself with a knife? You stab yourself with a knife. You are dead. Yes. <laughs> Take that, me. Well, Gemstone Four, or at the time Gemstone Three, when I started playing it, was was a text-based game online with at the time thousands of other people. So I started playing it in '98. It had been around since I think '93, so I was doing about 16 at the time. So like being 16 and and sort of like this stupid kind of youth, you know, you just want to, you know, be absorbed. And, you know, you basically want to be someone else, and that's why I fell in love with role play games at the time. Initially, I'd been on like um, like a freeform chat room where you could. It was basically like meant to be like an inn and you could go in as any character you want and you could role play it however you wanted and I remember talking to a few people via this and one of them mentioned Gemstone 3 I was like let's go and see this went to this this part went to the website which took ages to load because it was it was 98 and you know you had the the awful the awful 56k modem sound like you'd you know every every two hours my, my internet connection would die and I'd have to reconnect there's a group of people who'll never know yeah, that, the that kids sound. will never know that sound. Do you remember that sound? Yeah, Good. I uh, barely. <laughs> I, d- I do remember it because I remember we got a modem many years ago when a lot of people we knew didn't have the internet at all. And my early memories of the internet were were literally it was just chat rooms and and adverts. That's what you all remember the internet being at the time. So yes, I do remember the. Uh, <laughs> I was going to say this. Um, not, there'll be a group of people who'll never know. Where is it? It's actually on the iPhone. Yeah, there'll be there'll be memes for it. I'm, I'm sure I've seen memes for it already. But um, I, I, at, at this time, you know, me and my mate had only used the internet at, late at night. We'd creep into my dad's office, and we'd look at like we'd try and download a picture of of Gillian Anderson from a like a FHM set and it'd take like 20 minutes <laughs> to download one image and it'd be in like grayscale really poorly pixelated and you sure. think god's sake what is the point of this anyway <clears throat> oh look at those square nipples yeah well you know it was Julie Anderson you saw nothing sadly even though you know she was she was semi-naked and it was good remember when Stu used to it, it's, Stu was an early adopter of stealing music and he was on the original Napster and obviously on the 56k modem it took around about an hour to download a three minute song and there were cunts out there there's no other word for <laughs> I, them, I know what you're going to say where you'll start to download this song and it'll the first 30 seconds minute will be the song and then after that and you think oh this is right I'll uh, I'll keep downloading this and then that stopped and it'll be some random thing that they've put after it Excellent. So you'd spend yeah. an hour downloading. Ah, oh, listen to my song, mate. You could only download. Same with like a video, and it'd be like porn. Let's <laughs> be like, you'd be like, for God's sake. Uh, you could only feasibly download roughly eight songs a day. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. 
That's mental. Well, I'll admit I did used to download uh, songs from LimeWire. Uh, I remember LimeWire in Napster. No, if I remember correctly, Morpheus. If I remember correctly, LimeWire doesn't exist anymore because obviously it's not. I think it's, some people use it. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure I heard something in the news not so long about it shutting down. Now, whether it is back up and running, I don't know. But I thought, if it was shut down, I understand it's naughty, it's illegal, blah blah. blah. Uh, but I downloaded it for a time, uh, up until the point where it just stopped working. If it hadn't stopped working, I'd have still been using it. But I downloaded it for a time, and there was this one time where uh, where every song I downloaded came with a random free porn video. And, <laughs> you know, you and, were in bliss. Yeah, but I, was, I wasn't going to turn my nose up like that. Exactly, yeah. So, so Gemstone 3 was barely a chat room, but like Zork... You'd be in your own world, and you'd you create a character. And my my first character was, you'd get like race options, age options, class options, and then you'd have skills to choose from. So my my first character I remember vividly was called Malice, and he was a dark elf rogue. And basically, you're thrust into this world where there's thousands of other people. So you start off in this town. And it was called, I think it was either Ice Mule Trace, I think it was called. And it's like very much similar to Winterfell in Game of Thrones. It's like based in the north of, of on this continent. So it's all cold and stuff. And you'd have a town, so you'd, you know, you could be in the town square and you'd have like a description. And that you'd also see. You also see here, like random items. Also here are character names. So there could be also here Lord Daniel. Phil the Destroyer here, stuff like that. I prefer, I prefer the title of Destroyer than Lord. Well, well, Destroyer was not a title. Sure. But if you reach level 20 in this game, which is a serious time commitment, you'd either be Lord or Lady. If you reach 50, you would be Great. And then if you reached, um, at the time, 100, you'd be High Lord. And then there's... I mean, this, this has gone into me- mental detail, but... If you got over a certain level, I think it was 160 at the time, and this is thousands of hours, you would be called the Renowned. So there was the, there's a few Renowned characters. There's the Renowned Angel Lissa, there's the Renowned Malak, there's the Renowned Drizzt, and a few other characters. Anyway, so <clears throat> this this was before like World of Warcraft, and role-playing was heavily, heavily enforced. So you were actively encouraged to create a background for your character... There's all kinds of verbs. So if you if you typed like smile, you your character in the game, you'd say if you were playing it down somewhere else, you'd say Malice smiles. Okay. If you could say you could whisper to other characters, so you could go whisper Dan, hey there, and you would get on your screen Malice whispers to you, hey there. Okay. That's very cool. very cool, you know, very very basic for what it was now, but at the time it was awesome. So you could create your own characters. There was quests you could go on. Um, and the creators of this world, the GMs, you know, the classic Dungeon Dungeons and Dragons GMs, they would have like invasions, so they'd have loads of monsters that would spawn at random and try and invade towns. They'd have storylines, very similar to like Game of Thrones, you know, where certain things would be going on and they'd get people involved. But ultimately it was just a persistent world, similar to World of Warcraft or a game like that, where in certain locations you'd find monsters. And so different monsters would have different levels and different abilities and determine your ability and your skills, you'd be able to kill them. Now, at level one, the only thing you could really kill were rats. So in Ice Mule Trace, you'd go up the well, 
you'd uh, go climb well and you'd climb up the well and then you'd go down and it'd all be described in, in detail <clears throat> by the time you get, get used to it you wouldn't even read it anymore you just look at the first room description and the, the, the directions so it could be north, south, up, down, left, uh, west, northwest so you, using like your little number key you just go like that and you could move all across the world very super quickly and you'd learn it I reckon if I played it now, I've not played it for a long, long time. You'd know where to go. I'd know where to go. I'd know where to go and know where things are. You go down into the uh, into the caves under the well, and like a giant rat enters, and a giant rat swipes at you, and it's it, dependent on certain criteria. Like if you had a shield, if you had any defensive spells, if you had armor, you had like five set stances. So if you're defensive stance, you were very defensive, but you, you'd never really attack. For you wouldn't have a high attack. And you could have a defensive stance where you for, forsake all your defense for offense, for offense, and then ones in between. And then you could like sort of stance dance around monsters. So you'd wait for them attack. You've got a stance offensive, and then you'd hit it. And then if you missed it, if you didn't, basically you'd have like a, a D100 roll. If you didn't get over a certain amount, you'd miss. And then you'd, you'd be there going stance defensive, stance defensive, stance defensive, trying to like get into stance defensive before its turn came around because it's all time based so if you swung if you sw- swung swung if you swung like a big battle axe it'd take 8 seconds per attack if you had a, a dagger it'd be 5 or something like that yeah. they eventually changed it to make it like 3 seconds for the, for, for the faster weapons but at the time the fastest you could do anything was 5 seconds if you cast a spell it was 3 seconds which is the advantage of a spellcaster um Whereas certain monsters would attack you at different speeds. And eventually you'd kill it, you could skin it if you had the skill, and it dropped loot and stuff. And very similar to World of Warcraft, but it was much more solo oriented. You could get from the beginning of the game to the end of the game and get the best shit. Without ever interacting. Without ever, well, you had to interact with some people because mm. they were just there. And it was more, it wasn't necessarily interaction of like, hey there, how's it going? It was like, um, you'd get injured, and if you weren't. A certain class, if you were an empath, <coughs> or you didn't know how to grow herbs or find herbs like a ranger did, you'd have to go and find someone to, to heal you, and there'd be some interaction. If you found like a lockbox, if you weren't a rogue, or you didn't have any lockpicking skills, you'd have to go and find a rogue, and he'd, mm. you'd give the box to him, and he'd unlock it. it cool stuff, like, and then, you know, you would be like an interaction with them, you could tip them, if you didn't tip them, they could rob you if, you know they could pickpocket you if they mm. had the skills they could pickpocket you if you didn't rob you might catch them that might you know begin something there's certain characters out there who were notorious thieves notorious thieves there's, there's characters who were legends within this little world um, anyway to, to sort of bring it back to weapons yes. the coolest part of this game and it's what no other game I've ever played can ever sort of match is that because it's text based it's all in your imagination now <clears throat> you can start off with like an, you know a broadsword a steel broadsword a, an iron broadsword a a, um, a flint spear the, the GM's had powers where they could alter the description of any item Eventually became it could alter anything, so it could alter your description. So instead of just saying, "You see, Lord Dan, he is uh, in his, he appears to be in his mid twenties. He is average height. He is an average height human, brown hair." 
the GMs could alter that. They could say he is an average height for a human with greying brown hair that is tussled. Mm. He has deep set blue eyes. So you could ask for a description of your choosing. To your the choosing. Now, you could do this for weapon. You could do this for any items, and weapons was one of the cool things. And so some people were had no writing skills. Some people were ridiculous. So I remember one guy who had like this really gaudy sort of broadsword, and if you did, if you read it, if you examined this broadsword, it had engraved on the blade Optimus. Awful, 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 awful <laughs> shit. And apart from altering and, and, and doing this for items, they create their own items. Now, unlike World of Warcraft, where or Borderlands or most games like you know Dead Rising, this was a persistent world, and there's certain items that were genuinely unique. There'd be one item. And there's one sword, and I think its description was a, a massive voltite, voltite. No, it wasn't voltite because uh, it has its own, like like Lord of the Rings, it has its own weapon, um, materials and stuff. It's a massive Valon sword. That was the description. Because of its properties, players nicknamed it Sorrow, and it was known forever as Sorrow. And there's only one of this in the game now. When it's when I I was very lucky enough to buy it, and this was after years and years of seeking it and trying to buy it off people and raising the money. The time it, when I bought it, it cost 120 million silvers, which is approximately about a grand. That's a lot of fucking money in reality. What? I sold it for a grand, ultimately. What in real life money, money. in you, actual money. You did. I did. You made a thousand pounds of this. Yeah. Wow. But that, that was because I had no money and I was like, I need to pay the rent. That is incredible. And that, I was gutted. That is incredibly sad that someone paid a grand for that. No, see, again, people say this, Dan, people jump to this conclusion and I, I really I really dislike it. What someone wants to spend the money on, if it's a hobby, some people spend thousands of pounds on stamps. What's wrong with that? Some people spend, I spend nearly £100 a month going to the gym. Yes, but again, was this a, was this a tax? Uh, this was a tax based game, yeah. right? So the thing, someone can spend, someone can spend a grand on stamps. Okay, at least they can invite their friends over and go. That's a stamp I got from Lebanon. You know, uh, I don't, see, I don't see how people can invite their friends over and go. You can't see it, but I have this it's, sword. I get. I'm. I think that's the sting for that, and same with people selling all the Warcraft characters. Or gold, yeah. Or gold in any any digital thing. It's getting less and less now that. The mainstream's picking up on iTunes. I'll buy, I'll buy a song or an album on iTunes or a film. But it's the whole. Uh, I don't like spending a lot of money on stuff that isn't physical. Well, that's fair so enough. That's fair enough. I'll occasionally buy songs on iTunes. I might buy an album on iTunes. But if it's from, like, say, Monomath, one of my favourite bands. I'll only buy their albums on CD. See, I think that's why CDs and DVDs will always be around in a physical sense. Uh, because, because of people like that. It's because most people are like that. If it's a favourite band or a, re- a DVD that they really like, they will want the physical copy. Yeah, because you get... Well, that's a different argument. You get like, everything in it, yeah. really. It's a physical thing. It's like, I've spent £10 and I've actually got this thing. I can hold it, feel it, do this, that, and the other. Whereas with... Digital things, especially, that would be what you described as the ultimate niche digital sale. Yeah. Because you sent, you sold what was basically a text file. 
well, to but somebody. The, there's also the other side of it. Right, Dan. Hello. If you... Imagine, imagine you're playing this game and it requires... I play that game a lot. Of, of lots and lots and lots. Imagine if it says, right, you can work for an hour and you get paid 20 quid an hour if you're in a good job. Or you could spend three hours in the game to get the equivalent amount of money your real life cash could buy in that money. So you could say, right, I can either spend three times as much time in the game or I can use what I've earned in reality to save me that time. If you see what I mean. Right. Does that make sense? Yes. Some people definitely viewed it like that. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter because I sold it for that amount of money. I totally, I totally didn't judge who bought it. I totally... If people want to buy stuff oh, digitally... Should, if someone wants to give you a no, grant. <laughs> no. If, if a person wants to spend that much amount of money on anything, if it doesn't hurt anyone else, good for them. Good for them. Stu's got all them UFC DVDs there. Like... That's not everyone's cup of tea. No, that's an investment. And that's an investment, you know. But could he resell them for what he's bought them for? No, he couldn't. That's where I've got a... Not not a hardened mentality. Though I do tend to keep stuff a lot more now. Um, over certain things, rather. But, certainly comic books. Stuart cannot see. And Carl is... Um, Carl take the piss out of me buying comics just for the sake of it but he'll also give them a quick read not his cup of tea but then Stuart don't, doesn't like them um, but I'll happily spend this weekend I spent 50 quid just on some comics and I know that I'll never be able to resell them but I don't want to I want to keep yeah, them yeah it's your money it's your money you can do what you like anyway buy this sword and to me this is the ultimate weapon because it's something I'd strove for in this game for about three years. Summer, just find this one instance of a weapon. You know, it's not like it's not like the Ripper where you can pay eight hundred Microsoft points yeah, yeah. and get it. Which you could say, what you sp- you spend money, real life money, for something in a game that is never going to be physical that you might stop playing. Hmm. Oh, that's a bit crazy. Well, you can't ever get your money back for that. That's a yeah, bit, buy that's a ma- bit shit. Buy maps, Dan. Buy DLC. Uh, to be fair, I just. Bought the hardened edition of Modern Warfare exactly. 3. So, exactly. So the maps are free anyway. But you're you still paying no, the pay, money for you, it though. You it's you not free, you're up. paying extra money. You paid yes. the money up front for them. Yeah. yeah, because I knew that inevitably <coughs> people would go, oh, you know, I better buy the maps. I'm like, well, sure, I, I feel, uh, at least I'll have the satisfaction of feeling I went on for free. Uh, <laughs> but still, you're still paying. I'll trick myself into <laughs> thinking I'm not actually paid for them. Yes. Anyway, what was this game called that you've been going on about? Gemstone. Gem- anyway, if, uh, if the listeners are... Uh, still listening after after just because it doesn't interest you Dan doesn't mean it won't interest other people some people if it doesn't interest them will still try and at least engage the the people who are talking to them unlike yourself who just if not there's a fast forward button I I wasn't drifting off Nick mentioned Stu's collection of UFCs and I found myself counting every single one and that is a commitment Uh, um, he stopped buying them now though I think he got to like 100 which you know is mental but like I say, you know, that that sword meant something to me because mm. it had that that sword had only been owned by a finite amount of people. I I am my character, my ownership of that is in is part of that sword's heritage you now, that item's heritage, and 
in this day of like consumerism, especially in games where everyone has access to practically everything, well, that's, that's saying that, something to that's, me. Yeah, that's a unique perspective because I buy uh, Black Ops 2, you'll get it, you'll get it, and everyone will have the same thing and they'll be expected to have the same thing. Yeah, exactly. Everyone, everyone yeah. touches on, I'll have a weapon that you might never have. That I've got it's pure chance. But if there's a gun that's hard-coded into the game and you have one finite chance to get it and there'll only be that one, it, it does change it slightly. There's also like... It's something you don't see because everybody wants everything all the time. Yeah. It's weird because like, there's, there's, if your character, like I retired my character... And I had unique we- unique items on there that people will never ever be able to use because I've retired them. People do that all the time on that game. And it makes certain items rarer, it makes certain things much more special. And I think that's what a lot of games today has sort of lacked. And I, I, I totally agree, Dan, it's massively nerdy and it's massively geeky. But you'd have to be a certain kind of person to even uh, no, play absolutely. that game absolutely. in the first place, you know. And maybe it's it's not like... I mean, the, like we were saying earlier before we started recording, the the ray gun in Fallout Three is wicked because it, it just feels crazy. It feels mm. like it makes a wicked nice sound. It feel it, it's it's bright and sparkly. It's very fifties. How long have we been recording for? Anyway? Uh, an hour. We'll wrap it up in a minute then. Uh, Unless you've got something to say. I've got something. Yeah, I've got something to what say. Yeah, to say? for all the people who've, who've you you say something, Dan, so I can ignore it. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us a story, Dan. Tell us a story, I'm going Dan. For a piss. Yeah. Okay, first of all, my I think my favourite weapon of all time uh, from any video game will be the pies from Dead Rising. Uh, because there, <laughs> there is nothing more satisfying. The good thing about Dead Rising was, uh, which again I stated in the last podcast, is one of my favourite games of all time. The first one especially. Now in the second one you can make your own weapons. You know, you can combine a baseball bat with some nails. You know, you can get a paddle from a paddle boat and attach some chainsaws to it, you know. But the first Dead Rising, uh, there was nothing more magical than grabbing a pie and throwing it at a zombie's face, okay? Because sometimes the pie would stick to the zombie's face and they would still come at you, but this time with a hilarious pie stuck to their face. <laughs> it's like the, um, the cones as well. The cones Put in are... A con- did you ever play Dead Rising with the cones? You, you could get traffic cones. Traffic cones, horses, masks. Ma- massive amounts of zombies, or leg or heads, and put them on the zombies, and then they won't be able to see it, but they'd all be bumping around into each other. <laughs> so the sight of 50 zombies with leg or heads all stumbling around is like, this isn't so bad after all. One thing I oh, did no, like... Bite my leg. <laughs> one thing I did like about Dead Rising 2, though, and I stated again in the last one, Dead Rising 2 is not as good as the first one. Uh, but in Dead Rising 2, you play a character called Chuck Green. and X-Men power on display, then. There you go. And he takes way too much inspiration from Horatio, from CSI Miami, okay? Because uh, Frank West, in the first game, you know, he kills... You know, there are human psychopaths to kill as the game goes on. It can't all just be zombies. Um, and Frank West never did it with a, with a sense of, you know, of... Uh, victory, you know, it was, you know, he necessity. Did, it was like necessity. Yeah, exactly. It was about it was them or him. You know, it was a battle for survival. Now Chuck Green was a bit too Horatio from CSI Miami. There's too many psychopaths he went up against that ended with a Horatio style quip. You know, you go up against this one guy 
who, when you defeat him, accidentally sets himself on fire. And, uh, and, and whilst he's on fire, he's busy shouting, I'm the greatest! And Chuck Green just goes, yeah, you're on fire, you know. Which, you know, <laughs> is just asking for the who to go, yeah! There's another one where... There's another one where you're fighting the sheriff-type character who falls on, like, a big circular table saw, uh, you know, and, and he accidentally turns it on and, you know, it makes a bloody mess of him. And uh, again, at the end, he goes, I saw what you did there. Yeah! <laughs> <laughs> one, of, one of the, like, an old game I used to play, and it, this is technically not a weapon, but you could use it as a weapon was Transport Tycoon. Again, massively nerdy <laughs> game here. Do you know what Transport Tycoon is, Dan? I have played Railroad Tycoon. Yes, it's like that. So it's like SimCity, but we only use the transport. So you can build roads, um, railways, stuff like that. Now, if you're playing it multiplayer, and this is what I love to do when you're playing it multiplayer, uh, even against a computer, if, they, if they're creating like a, a road network and you wanted to mess with them you could create like a rail network that just say they've got a straight road you could create a, net, a rail network that bisected that road at every single point so you could just go over the road as much as it could and just get a train and so when they'd be driving along it you just have your, your train come along don't put any signals and it just take out the fucking <laughs> just take out whatever trucks a bus full of kids <laughs> Well, the best weapon in the game is a train. <laughs> yeah. So that was always. I never, I never owned it, but I did have a demo of it. So I thoroughly enjoyed the demo. But I had Jurassic Park. Mega Jurassic. Uh, Jurassic, oh, Jurassic Park. Jurassic Park Operation Genesis, where you made your own Jurassic Park, and yeah, there was nothing more satisfying than getting a park full of visitors and then conveniently breaking the T Rex's gates so that it would go on the rampage. <laughs> We've totally forgotten to mention. Like, probably some of the best... Actually, I don't think you've played them, Dan, because you're a total loser. Um, the two guns from one of the best games ever made, and that is the gravity gun from Half-Life 2, I'm which aware is of the gra- incredible. I'm aware of the gravity gun. Incredibly cool. And, of course, the portal gun. The portal gun, the portal is gun has to be mentioned, because that is just something that necessarily is not necessarily a weapon, but can certainly be used as yeah, a weapon. Certainly, Getting rid of those pesky droids. Yeah, it, it, very clever, very, you know, very kind of... It's simple to use once you've used it a few times, and it it's so versatile. It's not like a gun where you can shoot it. And you Such a simple it. idea that's Such incredibly simple idea. complex. Yeah, that is, yeah, there's so much, so many layers and levels to it that you can theoretically do almost anything with it, and it can be as deadly... Like, I don't really want to spoil the end of Half-Life 2, because... Thank have you, you played Half-Life 2? Yeah. The end of it, where you, you put the portal on the thing. <laughs> nice and vague. can't quite remember the end, to be honest. Uh, yeah. You're about to be destroyed by something, and you... To escape, you put a portal somewhere, mm. and it creates an effect that... This is totally not... <laughs> this is not even worth trying to describe without spoiling it. Just spoil it. You're not going to play Half-Life 2 to conclusion, are you? In time, perhaps? <laughs> I reckon you'll have forgotten it by then. Go for it, then. And, yeah, we've spoiled it. Anyway, yeah. So you be, you're about to be destroyed, and this entire location where you're at is, is crumbling, and you, you're about to be killed, and you're looking up, 
and you sort of see the roof give in and you can see the moon. Uh, wait, hang about. This is oh, I'm not half like, this is Paul, yeah, sorry, what am I on about Paul, yeah. Right, right. Duh, what am I on about? Yeah, it's Paul. Paul 2, yeah. Right, then, then let's rewind, shall we? Yes, I know the end Then you know it. the end yeah, yeah. And you see the moon, and you put the yeah. portal on the moon, and amazing, amazing. Why don't you think it's half Yeah, no, sorry, no, Half-Life 2's the ending that is totally, massively unsatisfying. <laughs> what am I thinking of? Yeah, of course, because I've totally blanked out Half-Life 1 and Half-Life 2's endings from my head. Because they are shit. Because right, the whole time you were mentioning using a portal in Half Life Two, yeah, I was I was thinking. Yeah, yeah. Sorry about that. Sorry about that. The whole time you mentioned using a portal in Half Life Two, I'm thinking, oh, so portals make an appearance in Half Life Two, but no, no, no the gravity guns. Uh, but no, it, that is a fantastic ending to Portal Two, and for anyone who's ever wished to, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, for anyone who's ever wished to fire Stephen Merchant into space, that's their opportunity to do it. <laughs> Honourable mention, uh, just because it's the game I'm playing at the minute. It's not a weapon, it's as opposed to an ability. In Dishonored, is um, it's called Blink. It's v- short um, distance teleportation at level one, say six, eight feet. Uh, level two, there's only two levels on it. It's 20 feet, whatever. And it's so immensely satisfying, if, especially if you're going through a, as a stealth player, which I've been doing. So um your little portal where you're gonna land directly behind the guard. As soon as you get there, chuck him out, carry him in one movement and then teleport back away somewhere out of view and ditch the body, it's just awesome. I can't think of specifically off the top of my head of another game that has that kind of ability in it. I don't suppose it's unique, but it's just one of those little touches where it's so immensely useful and versatile. To just scan around and, you know, people will be able to see if you teleport right past them in front of them. They go, oh, what was that? But if you teleport directly behind them, they've no idea. Chalk them out, carry them away, teleport back to where you were, out of range of other people's sight, dump the body, and then off you go onto rooftops. It's just brilliant. It reminds me um, of, like, the first stealth game I ever played. It, 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 pre- it, it was it preempted Metal Gear Solid, but not by much. That was Tense Yourself Assassin, which is similar to that. So you could like, hide up. That was badass, that It game. was a it really was good game. Solid. It was solid, but it was really cool. Very satisfying in the fact that you could kill people. You could hack people up. Um, there was another game I was about, that was just totally in my head. Um, Deus Ex. De- not necessarily the first Deus Ex, which is the best one, but Deus Ex. The uh, remake one. Human Evolution. Human Evolution. Where you could upgrade like your body parts. Yeah, yeah. The, re- the Xbox and PS3 one yeah, yeah and PC obviously that's yeah. the one where you can throw fridges at people right yeah or dumpsters and stuff like that you could upgrade yourself and so you have like non-lethal takedowns if you upgrade your body you can like grow spikes out of your arms which when you do a lethal takedown will will kill them like that or you can like twist the head off and stuff like that very cool but yeah you know stuff like that is, is smart and then Thief which is definitely part of you know, Dishonored's, Dishonored's wow. you know, yeah. Dishonored's kind of uh, pedigree. Pedigree, just stuff like the bows. The bows felt well. It, it was it was very similar in in Skyrim, where you know you you, you draw back the bow and you get the nice sort of the satisfying the creak of the wood. The, the creak of the wood and then that that kind yeah. of sound and it, you know it hit the marks like that. Very nicely implemented technology. Nicely implemented. You know, it it made it it made it feel like you were. 
you know, you actually utilising that weapon. Things. That's a good a good point because there's I like it when games not necessarily do realistic weapons, but they do things realistically. When mm. things have have got a weight to them. It's just you're clicking a mouse or a trigger on a joypad, but it feels like you're physically doing something. Which, ironically, in Skyrim, I found that a lot of the the like the knives, the maces, and stuff like that didn't feel very good because it didn't seem to have much weight behind it. You mm. literally were just there flailing away, whereas the bow did. Yeah, did I, feel good. I personally only used the bar. I had yeah, maybe too. A regular sword for up close and personal kind of thing, but I wasn't the type of player to. The mace is more like ball, is what I, yeah. what I always had. That's just because people would look at you as you walk past them and they'd be like, Do you smell something? Like that. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, nothing to see here. Go ahead. <laughs> anyway, uh, I presume we need to wrap it up. Is there anything you'd like to add, Daniel? Uh, yes. Uh, from the first Fable game. Oh, uh, this game. Uh, have you only ever played three games, Dom? Cod, Fable, and <laughs> Dead Rising. Tetris, and Dead Rising. Te- Tetris. Like, you know, I've never got the Tetris craze. I understand it was amazing when it was new, but who still plays Tetris, honestly? Anyway. Well, people. <laughs> yeah, me. <laughs> uh, shame on that. I'm going to see if Tetris is on uh, It's on the App Store, of course it is. It must be, yeah. Anyway, continue, Dan. I love the Fable games. Okay, sue me. Anyway, the uh, the end of the sue first me. the end of the first Fable <laughs> game. <laughs> Carry on, Don. Sorry. Thank you. At the end of the first Fable game, you defeat the bad guy. Uh, spoiler alert: you defeat the bad guy. And uh, <laughs> spoiler: alert, the good guy wins. <laughs> <laughs> you defeat the bad guy, and you get his sword, which is called the Sword of Eons. And you can either throw it into this vortex and destroy it and the bad guy forever, or you can wield the sword and uh, and you will have the most powerful weapon in the game. But people pe- tremble before. But you. people will fear you. Now this was great uh, because in the fa- in the first fable, there were title vendors who sold you titles because you know you didn't get to pick your own name. You know you began the game as Chicken Chaser. And you can buy a title. You could become known as Ranger or Assassin. Or one of the I forgot ch- that mechanic from the game, actually. Or one of the cheapest names, one of the cheapest titles you could buy was Arseface. And, uh, <laughs> which, was, which was great, wandering through a village and little kids coming up to you going, am I allowed to call you Arseface? But it was, great we- it was great wielding the Sword of Eon. So if you've played the Extended Edition, the, uh, the Lost Chapters <laughs> Edition, where you don't just have the sword, you take his mask at the end, you could have played good. You could have been a nice, good character the entire game. And put Jack of Blades mask on at the end, and suddenly to and everyone suddenly fears you because you've turned into this evil overlord. And again, very satisfying hearing people running away going, "Oh no, it's Arseface!" <laughs> Is it okay if I call you Arseface? No, <laughs> you killed him with the ultimate sword. I left that name long ago. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, before we wrap up, I would also just like, because Stu isn't here, uh, I believe if Stu was here, his favourite weapon would be the nose bag from Barbie's Horse Adventures. Simply strap this nose bag to your chosen horse, and that horse will be yours. No, I, I think uh, Stu's favourite weapon would be, uh, in Civ, defeating people by economics. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and on that Cripple, note. crippling other countries by just having more money than them. Anyway, I think that's it. 
I've been Phil. I've been Dan. And I've been Nick.